From Steel Valley Media, this is the Frosty Podcast. Welcome back, Frosty Podcast listeners. We have a great show lined up for you today. You can hear us on Podbean. You can hear us on Apple Podcasts. And now, brand new, you can hear us on Google Podcasts. So those of you like my co-host, Tony, who still have an Android, uh, not a barrier to listening to us. So we uh, we are getting out there, getting out to the masses. About time we got on Team Android over here. I'm excited about it. We're another week closer to football. I believe training camps open in about six or seven days at this point. Uh, we're dangerously close to football. I love it. This is the fun time of the year. You get you get some holdout rumors and news. Uh, you, you start to get those quarterback battles going. Uh, and, and after a summer slowdown of sports, uh, unless you're a big baseball fan, but I don't think anybody in this league likes baseball, you really have been wanting for something. We, we had the World Cup, which was great. Um, but I'm, I'm with you. I'm ready for some football to start. Yeah, he's looking It's at the point of the offseason where we get to start getting all the ridiculous stories out there because journalists just have to write about something and there's no actual football to write about. So definitely, I, I think they're itching even more than we are to finally talk about some stuff that's happening in camps with people fighting for positions and seeing how their rookie class looks and things like that. Um, definitely, definitely a good time of year here. Yes, and good time of year to be in our fantasy league. Because we have some breaking news. This is breaking news. About our trade rules. Now, last time we talked that this was being voted on about some different trade issues. We reported here on the podcast that Tony and Steve were looking to trade uh, Kittle for Connor. And there was some, some controversy coming out. So after a vote... Our commissioner, Steve Groover, put out the official rules. I'll read it to you here. Um, so trading period will open one week before keeper deadlines, which will be one week before draft day. Only players may be traded. No trading of auction dollars for players. And any players traded must be kept. And the player's keeper value follows them and comes from the budget of whichever team are on. So if in that situation where Tony trades uh, George Kittle to Steve, the value of George Kittle will then be absorbed by Steve's budget before going into the draft. Uh, Any of these trades, the players will have to be kept so you can't trade and drop a player. Uh, Tony, how do you feel about these new rule changes? I think they're good. I was always in favor of the offseason trades, and I think this alleviates some of the concerns we had. I know we're going to have Joe on here in a little bit, and his main concern was just turning the league into a year-round thing where everybody has to stay engaged the entire year. I think this rule is a good job of putting a lid on that. So basically two weeks out from the draft is when your trade period opens. If you want to engage in legal tampering before that, like say me and me and Steve did in this in this Kittle Connor deal, you can do that, but nothing can be executed up to that point. So there's really no inherent advantage uh, to to getting anything done sooner. Um, I think this is a good job of meeting some of those concerns of some of our league members and still creating a way 
an alternative way for people to find keepers for their roster in the offseason. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it just it adds another dimension uh, to our league. It we have put in kind of a, a new mindset into this league. And I know this is one of the issues that Coach Dave Peschen has is do we put more emphasis on keepers or do we put more emphasis on the draft? And I think this is another step towards putting that emphasis on the keepers. Yeah, I think that might be another discussion entirely on whether uh, maybe if we, if we feel like we're valuing keepers a little too strongly, maybe we look at the number of keepers that we keep every year or maybe how we value those keepers. You know, right now we add a $5 tax to them, which is uh, very small in the grand scheme of things. What if, what if you made the keepers so they double in value every year? So you have somebody who's a dollar player, you're going to have them for a while still. But if you get somebody who's a $20 value one year he's gonna be forty dollars next year eighty dollars the year after that if you really want to accelerate the rate at which people are going back into the draft i think there's other ways to do it i don't think this this trade uh this trade rule really does a lot to uh meet those concerns so if the concerns are um Number of keepers, number of players entering the draft, I think that's probably a separate issue entirely and probably something to look at in the future at some point. No, and I I agree with you. Um, But so as it stands now, trades will happen uh, or can happen. I should say we know that one is very, very likely to happen, and that will open up one week before the keeper deadline, which will be one week before the draft deadline. Now, we still have not set a draft date. Uh, there's some discussion in there as to when it might be, but uh, we'll we'll definitely let you know here on the podcast what dates those are, and we will have uh, a podcast at the end of the trading period and, again, at the end of the keeper period so we can talk about these in depth. We're starting to work on the George Kittle jerseys over here for, for the Nooks and Fannies already, so uh, uh, get your credit cards out, people. They're, they're coming to a store near you. Very good. Can't wait to get mine. Uh, and I think I misspoke earlier with George Kittle going to Steve. George Kittle obviously be going to Tony. James Conner going to Steve. Uh, yeah, my mistake on that. That's all right. You win some, you lose some. Speaking of having it backwards, let's go into some NFL news here. Uh, so Pro Football Talk had an article about that the, the league owners have proposed going to an 18-game season. Now, this isn't shocking. There's been talks for the last 10 years about expanding the regular season of the NFL. Uh, I think most of the time when we talk about this, you know, the, obviously the player concern is I'm taking on additional injury risk. Uh, you're probably not going to be paying me more. Um, and, and so what often is, well, let's convert to preseason games to regular season games. So we still have a 20 game regular pre pre and regular season but that's not what the owners are talking about here the owners are talking about an 18 game season but each player has a 16 game limit now just to keep in mind the the regular season is 17 weeks but each team has a bye week so essentially you're not expanding the number of games that a player would play but you're getting two more weeks of the nfl tony What's your thought on this? Uh, this this is a puzzling ruling to me. And the 18 game schedule, as you mentioned, is not a new desire for the owners. Uh, obviously, they don't make a lot of money off preseason games. 
they want more regular season games. Uh, this is an issue that the NFLPA has been uh, aggressively against the entire time. They do not want to go to 18 games. This is this looks like the owner's way of appeasing the players by only making them play 16 games, but also getting their 18-game schedule. But I have a lot of questions. First off, um, if you have, say, Aaron Rodgers on your team, and you have to bench him for two games because he only plays 16 games, and then those two games with Deshaun Kaiser actually mean something for the standings. Um, I can't I can't imagine anybody would want to see that. That's not good for the fans. That's not good for the team. It's not good for the owners. So when you look at that and how it really doesn't seem to service anybody outside of the financial side of it, which you can even question when you don't have the best players on the field, this feels just like a negotiating ploy by the owners for the CBA. This this feels like one of those things they're throwing out there um, that's a little bit off cuff, a little bit out of left field, so that when they actually come to the negotiating table and push to get what they want, they can say, oh, we made a concession on the 18-game schedule and make it look like they gave up something for the player's interest. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I'm not a fan of this. I, I think that... We have a big issue here with, like you said, you have all this competition. These roster or these schedules, rather, are are really tight. The standings are really tight, and now you're going to add in another two games where that starting quarterback he can't play. So you have, I guess, on the flip side of this though is that it will promote more care, I guess, in your backups because you're going to have to play your backups. So if you're sitting behind Tom Brady, you know that unless Tom gets hurt, you're not going to see the field in a meaningful game. The Patriots also know this. And so, you, yes, you put some emphasis on backups because at any point a player goes down for the season. But knowing knowing that at a minimum they're starting two games, does that change the way you go about your roster? I think it definitely could. It's definitely going to play a role. I'm a bit, it's going gonna, it's gonna to lead to some different types of strategy that comes from teams as far as when they rest players and when they play them. Um, you look, look at the Patriots example. You just, you just rest Tom Brady both games against the Dolphins. Um, is, that, is that the way you go about it? I, I, I don't know. And then obviously – Injuries would throw a wrench into that. If if Brady goes down earlier in the season, then obviously you don't have to use those days later in the season. Um, but like this, this, you know how frustrating this is for NBA fans when they have to see their favorite players take uh, load management days, as they call them. And now they're basically trying to bring that to the NFL with this ruling. But there's way less games, so you can do load management in an NBA season where it's 82 games and it doesn't really affect the overall standings, but in the NFL it will. Correct. And uh, kind of in my, in my brain, you have two different strategies going about how you would go, how you would do this. You would either take two games where you rest your starters or you would rest starters here and there for the whole season. Either way, you're putting less of a product out on the field and that's not good for anybody. No, I mean, just just think of the offensive lines and how 
dependent on chemistry they are with each other. So you're going to take one player out of there every couple of weeks just to give them a rest. You're going to take the right guard out, and then the rest of the line is going to go to shit because uh, somebody missed a block because they just didn't communicate the right blocking assignment. This is going to happen all the time. The product is going to suffer all the way down the line when you start taking players out of positions that they're supposed to be in. Um, I, we we all we've all had to try and sit through preseason games at some point. It's not a good feeling to have to watch these guys play meaningful snaps when they get get in. Uh, anybody who's watched a third quarter of a preseason game knows like this is this is damn near unwatchable. Some of it. Do you really want to bring this into the regular season too? Yeah, I, I'm not a fan. But let's let's talk about if this should go through. What do the fantasy implications look like? I mean, it would be if you look at our league, we'd probably be uh, making the season two weeks longer. Um, but then you would also have to put a bigger emphasis on your backup players, uh, just knowing full well that the players that you've drafted not only are going to have their usual buy, but they're going to have two other games that they might be sitting out, depending on where the schedule falls. Um, if, if you're a team that knows it's going to be really good and it's going to be in the playoff picture, they might just wait and just rest them all at the end of the season like they normally would. And it's uh, no skin off your back as far as the fantasy implications go. But um, it, it would definitely change the way you structure your roster from top to bottom because it's you can no longer go just stars and scrubs with your draft strategy. You're going to have to actually fill some of those bench spots with players that are going to need to play meaningful snaps for you. And I don't know if any team is going to come in and be confident enough to wait until the last two seasons to rest your starters because it's well all well and good to say, you know, hey, the Patriots are a lock to win the division, you know, until they're not. And now you're sitting starters during very meaningful games in the last two games of the season. You know, right now when we sit starters, it's because stuff is locked up. But you're going to have to make that decision over and over again all season of when do you sit Tom Brady and you know, do you do it in the beginning to get it out of the way? And then, you know, you have him for the rest of the season. I would not be comfortable waiting until week, you know, 17 and 18 to rest him thinking that, you know, one of those games may matter for home field or playoffs. I think they would almost have to happen at the beginning of the season. Most of them, um, cause because that, that's when most of those those backup players are in position to come out and play for you because they're used to playing some preseason games and just coming straight out of camp. Um, it, it, would just, it just makes sense to do it that way. But, I agree with you. But now, effectively, you have six preseason games, but two of them actually count. Right. These actually count for the standings. I can't imagine any owner is actually okay with that, which is why, this to me, this just seems like a, a big ploy um, just to go into these CBA negotiations in 2020. The, the only way this is even palatable is if you have um, some sort of rule in place that it doesn't apply to quarterbacks or kickers, punters, that type of thing. Um, because you really, as, an, as the NFL goes, they can't afford to take the faces of their league off the field for a week like that. They can't afford to take Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Baker Mayfield, Deshaun Watson. All of those guys need to play. Right. Absolutely. You know, and so this is where do you have are, are teams allowed to give an exempt list? So five players can be exempt from this ruling. Um, but then how does that work for contracts? Because now if you're playing two more games, you know, do you just take your current contract and divide it by 18? 
or do you divide it by 16? You know, it, it gets real complicated real fast. I can tell you right now it's going to work for contracts. There's going to be a massive amount of holdouts and players holding out for more money saying, hey, when we signed this deal, there were 16 games on the schedule. I want to be compensated for the extra two games, uh, not just dividing this into two more game checks. Uh, we actually want more money and the salary cap should be raised to accommodate it. There would be a big big firestorm from the players over this from a salary standpoint. Right. And that's why I think the owners are saying, Hey, it's still a 16 game limit. You're playing the same amount. We're not going to pay you more. Uh, You're going to have two more weeks of practice. And although it doesn't happen often, guys get hurt in practice, you know? So what happens when a face of your team gets hurt in a week 18 practice? Yes, it's terrible going into the playoffs. It's, it's uh, about the worst thing that could possibly happen to him. That's why I just don't think this is a feasible option. That being said, we're probably only in our lifetime, we're going to see an 18 game schedule. It's going to happen. The owners are going to get their money. They're going to have to, they're going to have to cut more money out for the players in that and share more revenue. But I think there's definitely a number out there that the players would be willing to cave on and be able to, uh, go play 18 games, not necessarily with any of these limits, but I just saw a stat earlier today from CBS sports that said of all the NFL players in the league last year, only 31% of them even played all 16 games. So just with the the amount of natural attrition there is throughout the roster. um, If you go to an 18 game schedule, it doesn't necessarily mean all the players are going to be playing 18 games just naturally. Right. And so as a coach, do you sit, you know, as we just talked about, you would sit them in the beginning or do you think like, hey, two thirds of my guys are going to miss these games anyways. If I sit you in the beginning and then you also miss another two later in the season, now I lost you for four games. I mean, that's right. Right. Ugh. So I think some of them might just have to just sit on the players for a little bit, keep them playing. And then if an injury happens, even if it's one of those questionable ones where, hey, maybe it could go back. Eh, we're just going to keep them out. This is going to be one of their games now. Yeah, and that's, you know, so you would have guys playing hurt less often. You know, maybe, yeah, that that decision gets a little bit easier. And then some of these guys who are getting hurt for the season maybe sat that, you know, sit that game uh, because they had a nagging injury that was there. Yeah, but yeah I, I agree. Now, I'm not inherently against the 18-game season. I'm, an, I'm against the 18-game season where the, the players only play 16. Yeah, it, it, it's ridiculous. If you want to make it 18 games and everybody's playing 18 games, I'm definitely not going to object to that. I'm not a player. It's not it. I'm not. My safety's not at risk. It doesn't hurt my uh, wallet at all. Um, more football is better for me as a fan. But they're in order to ever get this through the NFLPA, they're going to have to compensate the players more. That means more guaranteed money. That means a higher revenue share from all the money that's coming in from the TV networks, from the stadiums and things like that. Uh, They're not doing a very good job of sharing that money with the players right now. But I, I do believe there's a number out there, a magic number that if they could hit it, the players would agree to it. And I, I saw an article earlier on pro football talk and they were talking about this exact thing, right? So you have a car, you really like that car. Somebody says, hey, are you looking to sell it? You're like, no. And they offer you an amount of money. And you're like, yeah, that's all right. I'm good. And they come back a week later and they offer you more money. And then a week later, more money, more money. Eventually you say yes, right? That money gets to a point where you're like, yeah, all right, I'll do that. Uh, and I think I, I think going to, to your point, I, we're going to hit that. There's a magic number out there that the player's like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go for that. Um, 
I just I don't know what it is. I, I I'm with you. At some point, we're gonna see it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, there's always an appetite for more football. If if that AAF league showed you anything, I mean, people were watching that stuff. It's as big a mess as it was. And that should probably be a separate podcast all to itself one time, just for an hour, <laughs> just to talk about the lunacy of that league. But it, it shows you that people will watch football if you put good quality football on TV. And the NFL is obviously the best quality of football. You had two more games. TV ratings are going to be great. Stadiums are going to be sold out as usual. Um, it really just comes down to getting the players on board. And I, I think eventually they're going to do what it takes to get the players on board because it just creates a win-win for everybody. Yeah, and I think if you're creative with how you set up those schedules, you know, right now you have, you know, you play the two games within your division, uh, you play the rest of the conference, you play another conference, but now you're adding another one, you know, so you have guys in the AFC, NFC, you know, I always think back, like my favorite games were the Tom Brady, Peyton Manning battles, but they didn't happen every all the time. They didn't happen every year. Uh, you could have something like that happen more often and it would be, I think it'd be great. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Um, eight, 18 games would be great for the fans. Uh, it'd be definitely great for the owners. Um, yeah, you just find a way to make it palatable for the players. I, I think there's definitely a future there. Absolutely. So next up, after the short break, we're going to have Coach Joe Reedy on the podcast. Uh, it was his first season last year. He held on pretty strong. Uh but he may not even want to be in the league. So he's going to tell us a little bit about that. He's going to tell us all about his keepers, his draft, and his very interesting idea for the ACT penalty. Stay tuned. Hey, Frosty Podcast listeners. If you're like me, you have a busy schedule. You don't always have time to make great meals at home. Viz Provenciali is a world-renowned chef featured on Iron Chef Cleveland, the Appetite Network, and has won numerous awards over the years. He has developed a subscription service for those of us who don't have time to cook at home or maybe don't know how. It's called Hey, That Looks Good. I've used it and the meals are easy to make, they taste delicious, and are made with all fresh ingredients. And there's a special offer for Frosty Podcast listeners. If you go to heythatlooksgood.com slash frosty, you'll get two weeks free and 20% off your first two months. That's twice as long as the other subscription meal services, just for Frosty Podcast listeners. Give it a try. It'll taste like you're eating in Italy. Again, the website is heythatlooksgood.com slash frosty for your special offer. Now back to the show. Now with us on the Frosty Hotline, Coach Joe Reedy. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, guys. Great to be here. So for for some of our, our new listeners and, and new teams to the league, Joe, can you tell us a little bit about your history with the league? Because you were a rookie coach last year, but it wasn't your first time around. Right. So I initially started, I think, well, correct me if I'm wrong, guys. That was the first year. The first year we did it, I was a partner with Kayla. Is that right? Yes, I believe so. Yes. Okay. All right. So, so what happened is Kayla Wilson, now Kerr, Kayla Kerr, uh, signed up for to be in this fantasy league, and then she like kind of texted me and said, "Hey, like, you want to be out with, like, you want to have a team together?" I said, "Yeah, sure, whatever." I wasn't really that interested in fantasy football, and I kind of, um, kind of stuck to that line for even going through this portion of it. But so Kayla said, like, "Yeah, we'll be on the same team." Well. 
draft day comes and uh, I don't like Kayla signed up for the account and I don't know how to get in. So I'm like calling her, texting her. She doesn't remember the password. You know, basically what happens is this equates to I auto drafted for like the first probably, I don't know, like 20, 20 minutes of the draft, maybe even less. But it was enough for, for me to spend approximately like 120 of my dollars on two tight ends. I got Gronk and Jimmy Graham. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a great start. And I mean, I didn't I didn't finish last that year, but I was in the bottom a lot, a lot of the year. Like and actually like Gronk was kind of like the saving grace. Jimmy Graham disappointed. And then that, it's funny that I drafted Jimmy Graham at a really high price. And he's kind of has seemed to be a common disappointment amongst a lot of different owners here. So yeah, that was my, that was my first, first year. That was my, you know, inaugural year. Right. Then I moved to, uh, I didn't want to do it. The, the, and, and I think it was the next two years I was the figurehead commissioner and money holder. Um, and, and that reminds me of for everybody in the league, I still have a hundred of the league dollars that we have to spend. It's just being saved for, I don't know, whatever we decide to do for this, for this punishment. But I uh, mean, one hell of a party this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're gonna have extra cash for for whatever for whatever we're throwing. So I was I was kind of like a a commissioner of sorts. I was basically the figurehead where people would boo when I would walk into rooms um, during the draft, and then I just kind of handled the money and handled the payouts and everything. And then this past year, um, with Jordan Pennell refusing to take the ACT, well, not this past year, the year before, Jordan refused to take the ACT. So uh, as a league, we decided to remove him and we had an open spot. So the, uh, you know, the, the responsibility was thrusted upon me and I, I reluctantly took the helm of, well, now, you know, with my recent team uh, name change, we are uh, corporate free agents. So, you know, oh, we're, so I'm, uh, you know, I'm looking for corporate sponsorship. I know that might come up later, but we're, you know, I'm exploring all my options should be, uh, I'm expecting some big things out of that. So the breaking news name change for Coach Joe Reedy, corporate free agents. Uh, so we'd be looking for a new name then in the near future from you. Yeah, I would expect to see something uh, very shortly here. Joe, it's funny we've been talking about these tight ends over the last over the last couple podcasts and just how how they're in low supply. And it looks like your auto draft that first year was just ahead of the curve, taken too early for big money. Just taking advantage of that market inefficiency. I just think it's funny how now it comes around and like now there's no tight ends in the league at all. Yeah, it's pretty pretty force, full circle. It seems like you know all that talent's dropped off. And you no, know, I was I was really enjoying the wild speculation of of Gronkowski and his retirement. Um, you guys got me kind of like uh, like I feel like I should put some tinfoil on my head and just be thinking about like oh that theory. Like I was I was really buying it. Like. You know, the, the, like after sitting and sitting through all the explanation, I was really starting to buy it. So, you know, you guys really did an awesome job making me believe that Gronk is coming back. I believe he's coming back. Did he catch any footballs this week? Do we know? You know, I, I actually looked this up just to see where we were with everything. Uh, no footballs being caught, but there is a lot, a lot of speculation. Bill Belichick, of course, taking the normal Bill line of we're going to worry about the guys on our team. But, you know. You know he's calling them. <laughs> when he has to walk in that tight end room with uh, Dwayne Allen or whoever they have, yeah, I, th- I think he's going to be calling Gronk. Oh, yeah. Robbie G's phone's going to be lighting up. <laughs> so, all right, Joe, tell us about last year. It was your first year really fully owning the team. Uh, you, you really 
didn't have to worry about what Kayla was going to say about the team. It was all you. What was your strategy going into last year, and how do you think it went overall? Well, you know what? I'm going to kind of answer that in reverse order. So how I think it went overall, and I think the overall league uh, sentiment would be that everybody was a bit surprised. I mean, I was honestly surprised. I, uh, you know, I, I honestly can't remember if I had any keepers or not last year. I don't remember. You did. You had Tyreek Hill and Leonard Fournette. Oh, okay. I can't, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, no, I did have Tyreek. And so, like, I kept both those guys, and they were pretty, you know, they were pretty good values. Uh, well, at the time, good values. Uh, one, one panned out, one didn't. But, you know, I kind of, I, I was, I'd say, like, I was pretty aggressive in the draft, and uh, my lack of football knowledge uh, really showed because I just was like, I know who Julio Jones is, so I'm going to draft him. And I know who uh, Odell is, I'm going to draft him. And then I kind of ran out of money and I didn't, and then like, I just kind of had to pick up whatever, what, whatever was left. But no, part of the reason why the season was so successful is those guys stayed relatively healthy. So I had a bunch of big name guys who put up points and, you know, they, they kept putting up points and they, they were on the field and that's kind of what made the difference. So building off that strategy from last year going into this year, is there anything you'd take from last year to apply to this year's draft? And is there any way that you might be looking to maybe add some more depth to your team just in case the injury bug does creep up in year two? Um, yeah. So I guess I would say that I overvalued receivers, uh, not really kind of fully grasping, um, what, what positions are, are, are valued more in like a PPR league. So I'd say like I overvalued uh, receivers versus uh, running backs. Um, so that's kind of something that may kind of shift or change a little bit, but I'll uh, beyond that. I, I, I still, I still like the idea of getting people who are going to be on the field. Like that's, you know, I, I think that that's usually like the factor that I kind of um, go after and, I tend to, you know, like planning for those injuries, you, you, you try to do it. Uh, you can pick up like, I, like, I guess that's sort of a lesson learned is I would see people, you know, see, see people who would have, you know, their one, two running back on a team. And like, that wasn't really something I was thinking about, but now going into year two, it's definitely something that I'm aware of. So Joe, as you look into this coming year, looking at keepers. So as I look at your roster, uh, nobody is what we would call a positive value, meaning that you can get them with a $5 tax for less than what ESPN is saying the average auction value would be. However, you have one, two, three, four, five players where you would only be spending $5 more than the average and almost your entire roster where you would be spending less than 10. Uh, so, I don't know, like, you know, with, with, with Tony's team, we're talking about guys that are, he's, you know, underpaying $20 for this great guy. You don't really seem to have that, that issue, I guess it's not an issue. You don't have that luxury. Uh, so what's, what's your keeper strategy here? So I, I guess I'd say my, my keeper strategy revolves around, you know, controversy. Like I'm looking for guys that are just so talented. It doesn't matter what they do uh, off the field that the NFL is just like, we got to keep this guy around. So that's really like what I'm looking for. Just somebody who, you know, might get into a nightclub fight or somebody who like threatens their, their significant other and implies that they may have potentially hurt their child. Like that's sort of what I'm looking for in a keeper. So yeah, I'm hearing, like, I mean, I'm hearing Cowboys defense. 
Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cowboys defense would be great. Um, yeah, no, there's, have, there's, have you there's already some... reached out to Kevin about getting Kareem Hunt as soon as the draft closes? Uh, you, you know what? That he was on my radar, and I've been really like, it's it's been it's been a lot of consideration for for that guy because he's got to be really good. You know, he's got to be very good. So obviously, coach, you're talking to talking about Tyreek Hill. So you drafted him last year for $12. He's going to cost you 17 this year. He was the number ranked, number one ranked wide receiver last year. Uh, ESPN has an average auction value this coming year of 15 and a half, uh, which gives them only a negative $1.5 value for you. So essentially you would be paying market price for him. And in a keeper league, I would argue that that auction value is actually artificially low because I would jump all over this pick uh, knowing that you're going to have to deal with potentially slash likely a suspension, but he would, he's going to be worth a lot more than that next year. So is he, he's somebody that you're really looking to keep here? Yeah. So, I mean, just, just with the value of how much he actually like costs and you know, even if I I really think that projected value is kind of low, you know, there's still a lot of looming, you know, speculation around the suspension. But it seems like, uh, you know, the rumor mill is anywhere from like light, like four games is considered light to like medium, which is like half a season, kind of a Kareem Hunt situation. Um, I've seen, you know, I've kind of seen that in, the, in, in, in some of the research that I've done. So, you know, with that, with, with that being said, if you kind of if you kind of evaluate like top receiver talent uh, goes for, you know, like 50, 50 to 60 bucks, depending on who you're talking about. Uh, and if you, if you kind of just, you know, just kind of extrapolate that out over half a season, that's like $30. I kind of see that as what Tyreek Hill should probably be worth. So, you know, part of this is, you know, like you said, um, keeping this as like a future keeper pick, because I really think that, you know, if this pans out, um, you know, it's really going to work in my favor. And then even if it doesn't, you know, 20 bucks or $17 is pretty, you know, it's not that big of a risk. Um, so that's, that's sort of where my head's at with that. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think I think that auction value is artificially low, um, and it's it's mostly due to that suspension. And now with with some of the new news coming out on this, it, the NFL still hasn't made a, a real solid decision on what they're doing with him. He's he's not been allowed back in the facility, but uh, you know there's a lot there's a lot still coming out on this situation. Right. And, you know, it's just a matter of balancing that risk with, you know, with the overall cost. And I think that he's, uh, you know, he's one of those guys that might be, you know, might be worth that risk. Joe, I'd be remiss if I didn't throw this name out to you. I know he's going to be expensive, but have you put any thought to Odell Beckham Jr. now that he's wearing brown and orange and is going to have a real quarterback throwing to him and not Eli Manning throwing ducks? So I have, I have done that. And I've thought about, you know, there's a few guys on my roster that I would call advanced picks. Uh, so, you know, everything, Derek, you touched on it earlier. Everything's pretty much at market value or like a lot, a loss at market value. So yeah, Odell has come to my mind, but I've also had a part of my brain telling me you're doing that from an emotional fan standpoint. So that's sort of kind of tamped that a little bit. I've tried to kind of keep a level head, but that thought's definitely crossed my mind. So just uh, for the stats out there, Odell Beckham Jr., you got him for 55 last year, so he would cost you 60 this year. ESPN has his market value at just north of 39. 
he was the 15th ranked receiver last year. So that's a value of, of negative 20, almost negative 21. Uh, so, yeah, that I, I think you'd be reaching to mm-hmm. to keep him uh, unless you think he's really going to light it up. But at the end of the day, what's Baker going to do? Is he going to have the sophomore slump that we often see from quarterbacks? And if so, Beckham could be a, could be the greatest receiver in the league. But if he's if if Baker's uh, play drops, then it's not going to matter. Right. And and I also I think this is important to bring up about Baker, you know, not even about the sophomore slump, but about the way he distributes the football. It always seems like they have seven, eight guys catch catch a ball. And, you know, for 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 fantasy folks, if you have a number one receiver on that team, that usually doesn't bode that well. So, you know, that's definitely another factor. And, I, and to be honest, I really think that's probably what's pushing down uh, Odell's value from, a you know, from an average auction price standpoint. That's exactly what I was going to say. I, I, I think there's a lot of mouths to feed in that offense now. And it's kind of hard to tell who's going to be the breadwinner there. But I, just looking at that auction value, I I, I agree with you, Joe. I, I wouldn't keep him either at that value. But I cannot imagine people are going to get him in an auction draft for $39. That would be the steal of all steals. I think so. And, and I, you know, to, to kind of tie on to that in terms of stats – I think, you know, his stats are projected to be better than they were last year. So, you know, his, his stats were, well, from a receiving standpoint, he, you know, 15, that's uh, like, yeah, I'd say that's underperforming, but he also had a few games. He had two touchdown passes on the season. Um, he had a few rushing touchdowns. So like, you know, from a receiver standpoint, I, I, I guess uh, offhand, I don't know how that gets calculated and if those points count towards like the receiving aspect of it, but I think like overall fantasy, I, he he did he he treated me really well. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, so Tyreek Hill, you have as your keeper. Any other keepers that you're looking for this year? I mean, Adam Vinatieri seems pretty appealing. Uh, <laughs> no, not really. I, I like there might be I don't know an advanced pick bug. Um, I've I've kind of thrown the idea around of. Um, eh, I, I, I honestly threw the idea around Matt Ryan, but because I, I picked him up in free agency and he'd be $5, I mean, he's projected to do pretty well, but I don't know. I just think he's kind of, uh, I think there's going to be, I think his division is going to get stronger. And, uh, I think that he might run into a little bit more problems. So like than he did last year, like he put up pretty good number, like really, I shouldn't say pretty good, really good numbers. Like I think he finished number two as a quarterback and, uh, that, that was a good pickup for me, but I, I don't kind of see him having that same production. So that's sort of what's stopping me from maybe saying that that's a lock. My only lock he, right now is Tyree. He, he, you know, so one, one point of clarification here with Matt Ryan, he actually was drafted for $4. So you would have to keep it at five plus four. So he'd be $9. Oh, okay. For you. Oh, well then, yeah, that kind of, never mind. Yeah. Uh, that's the we'll classic. Yeah. I, I wasn't, re- yeah, I wasn't reading between the lines. I, I, you know, draft value versus he was, he was drafted. So yeah, I got to carry that through. Forgot about that. Yep. So, okay. So one, maybe a second, you know, advanced pick keeper, as you're saying. So what, you know, after you get those one to two guys, what's your draft strategy going to be to build around that, those pillars of your team? Uh, I'm going to spend all my money, all my, all my uh, budget. I'm going to spend it all. That's my, uh, it sounds obvious, but we have, we have a few teams in the league that routinely carry a lot of their money to the end of the draft and don't spend it. 
Yeah, I want to. I, I want to run out, and I I did that last year, and uh, seemed to work out. But it's really not all that complicated. Try to get talented guys. There's no real one position that I think is going to. Uh, I, I think it's more important than the other. Everything's pretty balanced. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna try to get top talent. Well, that strategy takes full advantage of the people that want to sit back and save all their money because they're not spending money at the beginning of that draft. Period. As soon as it gets past like 45 bucks, their wallet is closed. So that that's going to be a decent chunk of people that you won't be competing with for, for guys. Yeah, and, and looking at your draft last year, you have uh, Odell Beckham Jr. at 55, Julio Jones at 54, uh, Leonard Fournette was kept for 33, uh, T.Y. Hilton for 30, Tyreek Hill for 12, and then everybody else is single digits. So you seem to be one of those guys that goes out there early, Goes in for the big names, not afraid to spend. Uh, and then, you know, the other positions you just kind of put in there with those penny guys. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, listing off that name, I, I said it earlier, but, you know, it was receiver heavy. I think that that was sort of a, my rookie mistake coming into the league, really, uh, you know, being part of an auction draft for the first time. Um, so that's something that I, I want I, I to have a little bit more balance at positions. Now, Earlier in the, the intro segment, Tony and I talked about the rule change. Uh, we've been talking about it here for a little while. Joe, what's your reaction to this new rule change? So when I first heard about the offseason trade rule, my mind immediately went to, this is going to make the season significantly longer, and I'm going to have to be engaged for the whole season. Uh, or, you know, the whole offseason. Like, this is going to turn into a year-round thing. And, you know, everyone knowing kind of like my overall stance of um, uh, doing this to be part of the group, uh, I was I was that that was my primary concern. So, you know, when the rule came down that it's only going to happen a week before the draft, I was like, yeah, I don't care. Like any other details, I was like, it's fine. It's all good. That, that's that's that was my reaction. Once once that came in, I was fine. I think we did a good job of uh, alleviating that concern when when Steve put in the whole one week ahead of the keepers thing to kind of put a lid on it. So if you want to legally tamper before then, uh, you can go right ahead and do it, but nothing can be executed to that point. So uh, I, th I think we did a pretty good job of making sure that, that wasn't an issue where people were going to, have to be on their ESPN app all year round. Right. Agreed. Yeah. So I'm excited now uh, from the outside perspective to see how many trades actually go through because, you know, we have obviously this, uh, this trade between Steve and Tony that is in the works, not official yet, of course. But now that it's really been a, a topic of discussion, I imagine that a lot of guys have looked at their roster, looked at some other rosters to say, okay, if this is going to happen, you know, who am I looking to keep? Who are they maybe not looking to keep? You know, I think having the coaches on this pod, you know, when, when Steve says he's not keeping a Mahomes, you know, I might look and say, "Ooh, really? Like, maybe you want, maybe I want to keep Mahomes, and I can give you somebody that that you want to keep." Um, so I'm I'm excited to see how many trades we have because that's been one of the the discussion points is that overall we think there's not going to be that many trades. Yeah, I tend to I tend to agree with Steve in that regard. I really don't think there's going to be a lot of trades just just for the fact that you know part of the part of the trade agreement is that you have to keep the player you you acquire. So, you know, it's going to be situations like Tony and Steve where, you know, they're basically exchanging keepers at different positions because it better better suits their team. So, you know, to me, it makes sense. 
Um, and, and I think adding in the, you have to keep that person, you can't acquire them and then, you know, release them to the draft. I think that really kind of buttons this down to where there aren't going to be a whole lot of trades. As I mentioned earlier in the pod, these trades are really, really hard to pull off. You're essentially working with a roster of three uh, when you're trying to pull these off with each other and trying to make sure, you know, I have a piece this person would want, but he has a piece that I would want. And if it's not going to be mutually beneficial, there's no reason to do it. So I, I, I really think these are going to be rare. Oh, absolutely. So, Joe, you brought up Steve. And, Fuck that yeah. guy. <laughs> right? As we know, Steve is back-to-back champion. He's looking for a third. He's hungry. He's, you know, we talked to him earlier a couple episodes ago. His roster, he, he's got some good keepers coming in. He's going to be strong again. Uh, who do you think, other than yourself, of course, who do you think can can knock Steve off? Well, you know, let me squash that right now. I don't think I'm knocking anybody off. Like, I don't think that, you know, I, I, had, a, I had a very fortunate year last year. So I'm just hoping to repeat and be in the upper half of the league. Um, honestly, Tony, I think that Tony's got a pretty good shot just because of some of the, the value he has with some keepers. Um, I think that, I mean, really, Kalen's interesting as well. Um, but it always seems like, like you know, Tony, I think, is probably our most knowledgeable league member in terms of football. Um, I, I know Tim might not like to hear that, but uh, that's, that's, that's my, you know, that's my belief. And, uh, you know, Tony being the most knowledgeable, it always seems like he's hampered with injuries every single year. And then he still does pretty well. And, you know, when we're talking about Steve and how well he did last year, it just seemed like every pick he made worked out. You know, he was also very fortunate. I don't think there was very, you know, there were very few injuries. I can't really remember something that was significant. Um, And every single, you know, every single call he made seemed to just be like, man, he got like, you know, like three guys in the top five in like every single position. It was just like, it it was just crazy. So uh, like the, the fact that he doesn't have like eight keepers, is really going to kind of level out some of the talent, I think, in the league. Like, I, you know, a lot of guys are going to be released back in the wild, so to speak. And um, I think that that's going to kind of add some, you know, parity to everything. You know, everything's going to kind of regress back to the mean, so to speak. That's the point we addressed with him, too. That there's definitely going to be some negative regression coming, especially after the last two seasons he had. Really, both of them, uh, he went injury-free. Uh, hit on some really good picks in the draft ended up being good keepers for him. And uh, yeah, it, it's going to be harder this time around for him to three-peat. I agree. Yeah. Well, the question then becomes to me is like, is it really just luck or is it, you know, skill and how much, well, it's, it's, it's obviously not that, you know, it's not one or the other. It's definitely a combination of both, but you know, how much of that is shaded towards luck and how much of that is shaded towards skill. So, you know, we'll see how it pans out this year, but I really think that, you know, I, I would if 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 the if the same level of pick, you know, insight happens by Steve, the guy's a prodigy, and we just have to accept the fact that we're never going to catch him. You know, and uh, I'll so say this: I'll say this about Steve. He's always impressed me with how much work he does going into the draft, and I I think that's that's easy to do when he was in his off seasons and that. Uh, but now he's in school, and I don't know how much work he's going to be able to put in into the draft. So I think this may be the year that he comes in a little underprepared, I think, on level playing field with everybody else and uh, looks a little more human. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, well, you know, 
school Steve is a new Steve because he's because the guy didn't graduate yet. It's been taking a sweet ass time to do that. So, you know, finally, finally getting back to it. So take your time, Steve. Gosh, <laughs> but he's the most ACT ready of all of us. Yeah, I feel like he would do the best for sure. I, you know, no he would definitely do the best. So wait, okay, wait, who would who would do the worst? Who would do the worst out of everybody? Oh, well, that's the next question. That. Yeah. I, well, no, let's let's yeah, let's answer this. Who would do the worst? Who would be your pick for like, all right, if they took it, they would be the worst one. And and also factor in how you think they'll be able to handle it hungover. Like if you've seen this person operate hungover, how you think they would be. So I'm that that point you just made makes my decision much easier. And that that vote goes to Coach Tyler Kerr. This man at breakfast after a night of drinking just sounds like a grizzly bear coming out of hibernation. Like, first off, he's gonna he's gonna get yelled at for making like noises like ugh, ugh as he's trying to answer his questions. Uh, I don't know. Isolated. What's that? He's gonna have to be isolated. They're gonna have to put him in his own room. Probably. Uh, I don't know how well he did the first time around in high school when we all did this. But yeah, I think I think the fact that he's going to be going in hungover, I think that's going to be the turning point to make him the worst of the league. I mean, Vince coming in uh, hungover the next day is a pretty golden opportunity as as well. I mean, he's he's a uh, he's he's known to frequent the whiskey from time to time. Uh, me and him together, and uh, he he's had some some days uh, the following day where uh, some naps in his car at Subway and things like that. Um, yeah, I, I think Vince would would have a hard time being in the state of mind to take that ACT. Uh, we'd probably do do fine sober, but uh, that's, that's obviously not a variable to play here. Yeah, um, well, Vince was sort of my dark horse call, and I had never seen Vince in that state, but I don't, I mean, I would, my pick might be Dave Pestian because like, I just, you know, Dave, when he's not feeling well, it's just generally speaking, he's not, he doesn't handle it as gracefully as I, I'd say others do. So he, he might be my pick for just like, just get like, I feel like he'd just be like, you know, fuck this. And I'm just start filling stuff in and just be like, I'm done. I don't care what I get. I'm going to get a 16 <laughs> or an 18 on reading. It doesn't matter. And then, you know, he's got to go to the bathroom or something. You know, I can see that happening. Joe, so, this perfect lead in. The ACT has to stay, right? I, You know what? It is the cornerstone of our league. You don't, you don't know how many people, like, work colleagues, ran, like, new people I've met that I'm like, yeah, I'm in this fantasy football league. We got a really cool penalty. It's you have to take the ACT if you come in last place. And everyone's like, oh, that's a great idea. You know, that it's it's like a it's a crowd favorite. And then I have to follow it up with, yeah, no one's ever done it, though. So it's such a terrible ending to such a good, like, story and path that we have to do it. Um, and, and the thought that I had, so it seems like there's just, like, this huge hang-up on, like, you got to get registered. You got to... You know, there's there's maybe too much humiliation because you got to go into the test center. Um, you know, you got to go to a high school, basically hung over with a bunch of kids, which I honestly like. I'd like to keep that. But, you know, if we're going to go soft and kind of make this lighter, what we could do is we could uh, do the test. We could administer the test. So we as a league could gather and, you know, as get a quorum somewhere and we could administer the test. Uh, 
but the test conditions while we're administering them are going to be challenging to say the least. Uh, so I don't exactly know how it's going to pan out. You know, some thoughts that have come to mind have been like a bar or a house party where there's a bunch of activity and you have to complete an ACT exam in some way, shape or form. And then we get to post your results. So, so you're saying, I've been, yeah, like you're saying like you're not in a quiet space. You're not sitting by yourself. You're not sitting in a classroom of other people also taking the test. You're talking about sitting next to a guy who's like six deep talking about the Browns. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, like if, especially if it took place in like a public spot, uh, there'd be a group of people saying like, he's taking the ACT. They're taking the ACT. You should go say, hey, and ask him how it's going. You know, there'd be a lot of, uh, a lot of distractions. So you really have to hunker down um, and stay focused. Yeah, so yeah, that, that that could be a that could be a challenge, and oh, we'll see how it all pans out. But I am pro ACT, or uh, uh, yeah, I'm pro ACT, and uh, it's definitely I would call it a cor- that's it's the it's the cornerstone of our league. We have to keep it around. I don't like the shirt. Really you know, like I hear people. Idea. Yeah, I hear people talking about shirts. I hate the idea of shirts because you know what's going to happen with the fucking shirt is it's going to be they're going to wear it twice, and like there's going to be like three pictures on social media that nobody ever sees and like you you know your your humiliation is just so like it's it's not it's not it's it's a it's much less uh uh it's much less what's the word i'm looking for like like it it doesn't it's it's not permanent you're you you're humiliated like no if you take the act you will those scores will be posted hell they'll probably be on something on our discord chat we'll be like all right 2019 so-and-so score overall was this here are all the categories boom and it's going to be up there as like it's like a plaque it's like we're gonna have an act breakdown episode on this podcast we're gonna go yeah yeah Yeah. it's gonna be that it's gonna be like lord stanley's cup with like your name etched in it and your scores for for whatever so it's gonna be around for forever so like you'll always know that that damn it i came in last and i take the act where like a shirt's gonna get passed around like a a common whore. I hate the idea. I hate it. And I think that was one of the cool things that we, when we talked about the ACT was that basically then, you know, you, you go by. So like I have to take it and I get whatever score I get. And then Tony has to take it and Tony beats my score. And so bragging rights of like, I'm smarter than you are. Look how dumb you are. Uh, and at the same time, those who haven't taken it know what they got in high school. And so you're like, Oh my God, you got like 10 points less than I did. Like what an idiot. That was part of the charm of all of this that has, has, hasn't panned out yet. I just love right. the idea of, of thinking we all just, let's just say Buffalo Wild Wings. We all walk into B-dubs and somebody has to go sit in the corner and take the ACT while the rest of us just sit at this big table and just get get apps and drink and do all this stuff. And then we can, we can even, I mean, it's going to be morning probably or sometime early in the day. We can tell the wait staff like, Hey, keep putting groups around that person <laughs> at the well, tables around to make it loud. Like I would argue, they sh- I would argue they should be at our table while we're enjoying those drinks and apps and having conversations about everything else, distracting them. Uh, and then, yeah, every chance we get, Hey, this guy is taking the ACT. And they have to ask us to pee too. You know, you have to ask permission to use the restroom. That's just critical, like the real ACT. Yeah, that's you know, that's a crucial element to all this. And it's time. Hey, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of options because uh, don't the well, you know, for me, I think about in terms of Browns games, but there's there's a smattering of 
you know, Monday night game, if you know, we want to do it during the week. I think there's a Saturday, there's a Saturday game. There's, you know, there's options out there. There's the classic Sunday during the day. So, you know, depending upon who and when, um, you know, if, if, if we could do it in season, that'd be really cool. Yeah. So you figure we, that finishes up week 14. Uh, no, week 15, rather. We have the championship week 16 and then week 17 is your last, uh, your last game of the regular season. And, and maybe even maybe even like a playoff thing, because we'll be so much more flexible if we like it's self-administer. You know, like we we could do something like that or hell, I, you know, I, you know, Tony, you usually have a Super Bowl party. Hell, it could be that. You know, you know it doesn't necessarily yeah. have to be out. It could just be, um, you know, usually there's a wider net cast at like, a, you know, a party like that. So you get to meet new people and be like, hey, this look at our friend. He's taking the ACT because he sucks at fantasy football. You should go ask him about it. You know, and I think that's a really good idea because the ACT time, and I, I don't remember for sure, but it's like a four-hour test. So yeah, significant. Yeah, it, it's not it's not a short thing. So the Super Bowl is going to last, I mean, damn near that, three-ish hours. So make sure that we start it early enough and, and essentially finish as the game ends. Uh, and then, you know, we score the test and we have Super Bowl champion. And we at the same time we have our our ACT loser and we know what they scored. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I yeah, really like it. This. It just kind of like localizes the humiliation rather than putting it out there in a high school setting where it's kind of out there for everybody to see. It kind of brings it in house and makes it makes it just as humiliating for them, but um, maybe not on the public scale. Yeah, and I also I I honestly don't know. I, I have some reservations and doubts of how far we really get. So like, if you honestly show up to a high school and you're a 30 year old man who's hungover and like, you stink and like, you know, like, I don't like, I, I some people may be like, you're not doing this. Like, so you know, there, there's also that element. Like, you know, part of me is like, Oh, I want to, you know, the challenge of like getting somebody to go through that and get in and actually like start taking the test. That's like exhilarating. But like at the same time, you know, I, I really have significant doubts about our ability to be able to do that so it's kind of it's kind of a like it would be a huge letdown if we scheduled the act got everything set up and then you know 10 minutes later you come out and they're like they won't let me take it so that's that, that that's you know that risk is sort of averted if we do you know the localized humiliation route and i think that the localized one could be a lot of fun it could be it could be a ton of fun and like you know, the feedback so much faster like there isn't like this lag in scheduling. It's like, you know, you lose the league and within a month you're taking the test. And I think it alleviates part of the I think part of the concern I know last year and potentially the year before with with Pennell was they didn't want those scores going public for fear that it could have been found by somebody and, and, and whatever. This would alleviate that concern. This would keep the scores, I mean, just local to us. Maybe it gets out like through a little bit of social media, but it's not an official score that that could potentially even harm your future. This is truly just this gets to the spirit of what we wanted it to be. Yeah, that would alleviate that fake concern. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah, totally agree. Well, I've. Just want to finish with giving you a little bit of time to plug your finance forward podcast. Go ahead, Joe. Oh God. I mean, Derek has just signed me up. I, you know, my evenings are just sucked up now. 
Um, finance forward. So the part that Derek left out is I get very drunk and then I take calls and I, and I basically just berate people on how they're doing things wrong and I correct them. So that's, you know, that's the format we're going to go with. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a great show, especially if you, if you like, if you like hearing people be told that they're, you know, doing things wrong and from me. So yeah, you'll you know, Sammy really enjoys it. So yeah, looking forward, looking forward to it. And it's going to be awesome. I can't think That's, of any finance pods like that. I think I think you have a, a market cornered right there. Definitely. I mean that is that is finance forward with Joe Reedy. Uh, you can catch it off Steel Valley Media on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. So, Coach, thank you for joining us uh, and sharing your your experiences with this uh, league, your your thoughts with the trade with the ACT. Uh, we look forward to having you on again. Oh, it sounds great, guys. Can't wait for the next time. Next time on the Frosty Podcast, we're going to have Coach Tyler Kerr on. Tony, we've been harsh on Tyler, so he's going to get a chance to respond. Uh, tell us about what he's got going on for this year coming in. He was on the playoff bubble last year, but did uh, did get into the playoffs. So he's, uh, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with, I think, but he's had some questionable strategies in the past. I think he's ready to release a lot of venom on us in this podcast after the amount of bagging on him that we've been doing over the past couple shows. But uh, definitely interested to see what his strategy is going to be going into this year to get him out of that ACT territory. Yeah, I I can't wait. So that's next time on the Frosty Podcast. Uh, But for now, I'm Derek Frost. As always, with me, Tony Perenni. And we'll catch you next time.